Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry at Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out the Living Room ATL on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. That was, uh, that was incredible. Um, one of uh, Paola's friends tried to like light off a confetti cannon and it just shot her. Like it was aimed the wrong direction. And so I, I was supposed to come into like a very like spiritual moment, but I saw that and I was like, I, I just gotta recognize what happened in this room. Um, uh, my name is Raisa Kabandi and I'm so honored to be a part of this moment in these three young ladies' lives. They have committed publicly to following Jesus. And as I was watching each of them make this decision as as young adults, it kind of took me back to uh, when I was 19, I was in my apartment by myself praying. And as I was in that room, I got the revelation that God was never gonna leave me, but I was like, God, I, I know that you're faithful to me, but tonight I commit to you. And then I remember at 20, at 21, the moment that I was like, okay, God, I'm ready to be baptized. And I remember the moment I was dunked in the water and I came out and it was like, everything was different. You know, circumstances may not have changed and life may not have gotten easier, but things were different. And I remember at 22, being in a church service, it was a, the room was a little bit fuller than this room. And I remember standing in the back of the room crying because things had just gotten really difficult. And I remember hearing a verse that is found in First Peter. You were bought with a price, not with silver or with gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And I remember hearing the voice of God tell me, I know your dad's not perfect, but I wanna let you know today that I am your dad. And in every area that you need a perfect father, I have stepped in and paid the price to be that. So I have no idea where you are tonight, whether you're watching this on a phone, in a coffee shop, with a group of friends in your bedroom, wherever you are, I want you to walk away from this baptism moment with three things in your mind. That number one, that your God is faithful and he will never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Number two, that the moment that you decide to follow Jesus, life may not get easier, but it will get better. And number three, in every area that you need a perfect father, he has promised to be that. Let's pray together. Dad, we love you so much. You're so good. God, I thank you for each young lady that was on this stage. And what culture and statistics will tell us about young black and brown women is that we're the least likely to and we're the most likely to experience all the negatives in life. What you have shown us today, that in a time and a culture where everything is reminding us of who we are not, you are reminding us of who we are, that we are your daughters, that we are seen and that we are loved and that we are celebrated. God, I thank you for every young man that is watching this tonight, that is questioning their value and their worth and their purpose. 
wondering if they're going to end up being the worst version of themselves, that you would remind them that before the very foundation of the earth that you knew them, that you called them by name, that you formed them, that even in this moment that you know them so intimately, you know the numbers of hairs on their head and that you see them. And so in this moment, as we celebrate three water baptisms, as we, as we celebrate the entrepreneurial spirit of Kai and her shoe design and the gift that you've laid on this young artist's heart and the, in her hands, God, the same way that in Exodus, when you were building your temple, you anointed an artist. I pray for that same grace on her life. God, we thank you that in this moment, as we celebrate life change, that you will meet us here. That in every cafe, in every living room and bedroom, in every space that people are watching this, even if they're on their way from a study group or to a study group, that even here in this moment, wherever they are, you're meeting them there. So dad, we love you and we trust you and we leave these next few moments in your hands. So in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Living room, I am honored and humbled and excited to be with you guys tonight. I am bummed that we're not all in the same room, but don't worry, when I go home tonight, I'm gonna go through the comments and be like, read all the positive things that you're saying about me, like my awesome shoes, my awesome Mamba, my, my awesome Mamba t-shirt, and also, you're gonna celebrate this amazing night with me. But three things you need to know before we get started is number one, I am Congolese, okay? So I am from Central Africa. I like to call us the heart of Africa. And I'm just grateful to be alive, right? And you may be sitting in your living room, in your dining room, wherever, wondering, right, so why are you excited to be alive? Is it because your nation has seen a lot of civil wars? Nah. Is it because there's been, there's been starvation and all these kind of crazy things? Nah. Is it because you may have survived diseases? No. It's because I grew up with African parents. And there were many moments in my journey as an African child where my mother looked me in the eye and said, do you think that I am one of your little friends? Listen, if you want to disrespect me, you can call the police and I will beat you until they come. And in that moment, when I survived to the next day, I was just grateful for another day of life. The second thing you need to know about me is that I am a huge Lakers fan. Kobe Bryant is my favorite basketball player. He's my favorite basketball player even when I lived in Africa. I remember when he got drafted. I remember his rivalries, Allen Iverson. I remember watching Sprite commercials and thinking to myself that the only reason I cannot dunk, this was a very literal thought of a six-year-old me, is because when I watch Kobe, when I watch Kobe in his Sprite commercials, he would drink a Sprite and never burp. And because he never burped, he was able to dunk. And so I just believed that if I could chug a Sprite and not burp, that I would be able to dunk. And unfortunately, it still has not worked. So y'all just keep praying for me. And number three, is uh, the third thing you know about me is that I lose stuff all the time. I lose my cell phone, I lose my keys, I lose my wallet, you know. Do you have one of those friends that's always asking you where their stuff is? Like, yo, have you seen my phone? Have you seen my wallet? Have you seen my keys? Have you seen my face? All of the things, okay, I lose all of the things. And, and here's the thing, the way that you respond when you lose something says a lot about you, right? It says a lot about your personality, who you are, how you behave. Are you one of those people that likes to backtrack on all of your steps? I don't do that, okay? I'm one of those people that just tears up whatever room I'm in, whether it's my living room, my bedroom, I just start throwing stuff around, being like, where did it go? And it's always in the most obvious location. There's a story in the Bible and a moment in the Bible where we find God asking a question. 
it's almost as if God is looking for something that he cannot find which is very strange to me because if you're new to faith or new to Christianity, one of the things that we believe about the God that we serve is that we believe that he's all-knowing, all-seeing, and that he's everywhere. So for him to lose something is quite an incredible feat. And so I'm going to share a little bit about this story, what leads up to this moment where God asks a question that may look like he's looking for something and what we can learn from this story. So it starts all the way back in the beginning. Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that he put the stars in the sky, that he told the ocean when to stop. He grew trees out of nowhere. He did all of this stuff. And on the sixth day of creation, God created man. And after he formed man from the dust of the ground, he then breathed the breath of life into man. And then he gave man some objectives, some jobs to do. So it's like, hey, listen, Adam, your responsibilities are to take care of the garden and to name the animals. And so as Adam was naming the animals. He was like elephants, okay? Then he was like dog, cat, mouse. Then he was like, I'm feeling myself, platypus, giraffe, right? Hippopotamus. So he was like really just getting into it, okay? He said aardvark. I think I said that right. I'm a little worried. Pray for me, y'all. So he goes into all the animals, and after he's done naming the animals, he begins to recognize, like, yo, there's a, there's a male lion and a female lion, and they hang out together, and there's a male lion and a female tiger, and they hang out together, and, and I see all of these animals in pairs, but there's only one Adam. Where is my other? Where is the person that is supposed to be equal to me but different from me? Where is my partner? And then you, you overhear a conversation that God has with Jesus, who has it with the Holy Spirit. The three of them are in a group text, and they decide that it's not good for man to be alone, but they need to give him a partner that is equal to him. And then Adam goes to sleep. A lot of good things happen when you take a nap. Amen. Come on. Come on, somebody. You ever take a nap and woken up and it's dark outside? <laughs> then confused? You're like, where am I? Anyway, back to the story. So Adam wakes up from this nap, and, and, and as he wakes up, he sees Eve. And, and it's so beautiful because Adam goes from being this person that says very few things in the Bible to when he sees Eve, he becomes a poet, and he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, you shall be called Eve. We all become poets when we fall in love. And as the story goes, Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden, and, and then one day, a serpent pulls up and he looks at Eve and says, hey girl, what you up to? What you doing today? You gonna hit the gym? What's going on? And Eve's like, no, nah, me and Adam, we're just gonna go, you know, we're gonna go to the waterfall. We're gonna go eat some fruit. What are you up to? And the serpent is like, yo, have you noticed that tree that's over there? And Eve's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, God said we can eat from all the trees that are in the garden, except for the one that is in the middle of the garden. In fact, we can't even touch that tree. And then the serpent's like, bruh, listen, did God really say that you can't eat from that tree? Here's the scoop. Here's the tea. Let me tell you what the truth is, okay? God is only saying that to you because he knows that when you eat from that tree that you'll become wise just like him, knowing good and evil, and you'll become like God. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, when the woman saw, sorry, 3 verse 6, it says this, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. In this moment, we learn a very important lesson that many of you have learned already. 
is that just because it looks good doesn't make it good. That just because something looks good does not make it good. When you are talking to someone, when you are engaging in a friendship with them, and just because they are, just because they are attractive, it doesn't mean that they can text you at 2 a.m. and ask if you're up. Because just because that moment may look good and it may seem like it's going to feel good does not mean that it is good. When your friends ask you to compromise who you are for their approval and in that moment all you want is their approval and their acceptance, though their approval may look good, does not make it good. Living room, I want to ask you today, what are some of the things in your life that appeared to be good but have not turned out to be good for you? What I love about the God that we serve is that he's so faithful, he's so kind, he's so consistent that he's not going to keep you guessing. If it's good for you, he's going to make it clear in his word or he's going to make it clear through his spirit. You don't have to guess what's good for you. You don't have to guess what's right for you. He will make it clear to you. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to choose. Genesis 3 verse 7 continues this way. It says, then the eyes of both of them, both Adam and Eve, were open. They realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man said to his wife, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? In this moment, it may appear that God is asking, where are you? Because he doesn't know where they are. But he's asking, where are you? Because he's trying to understand how they chose a place that he had not designed for them. All of us have lived in moments where God has planned something good for us. We've chosen something that was not made for us. When God was saying, Adam, Eve, where are you? It was not because he did not know their location. It was because that they were not where they were supposed to be. And this is how Adam responds. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Living room, I, I want to fill you in on a secret. Anytime that you do something that violates your conscience, that violates your character, that causes you to compromise on who you are, what will end up happening is that you will hide from the people that you love and from the God that loves you most. A different way of describing a violation of your conscience is the word sin. Sin causes us to hide from each other and from God. How many times have, have I found myself in situations where I am doing something I know that I'm not supposed to do and the result of that one instance is that I choose to hide myself from the people that love me most, from the family that loved me and protected me and took care of me, from the friends that are fighting on my behalf and care about me, from the God that is for me. And the way that I hide from God is not like I'm just like hiding in bushes or in trees or in any of those things. No, it, it, it looks like me avoiding reading my Bible. It looks like me avoiding that friend that's going to ask me the question about how I'm really doing. It looks like me avoiding worship music because I, I can't handle that, that, that tinge or that feeling of God saying, hey, I want to talk to you. For me, I'm an avid journaler, so, so I write out my prayers. And so when I'm avoiding God, I, I avoid journaling. And in this moment, 
we see Adam and Eve who had been together naked for an unknown amount of time. And all of a sudden when they did something that violated their consciences, when they did something that they were not supposed to do, all of a sudden they no longer felt safe to be vulnerable with each other. Living room, I want to ask you, where are you? Are you in a season right now where things are going well, where things are breezy and easy and they're flowing in the right direction? I want to let you know that that ease, that breeze, that fun that you're feeling is because God's presence is there. He's the giver of all good and perfect gifts. If you're in a season where things seem challenging and confusing and frustrating, I want to let you know that God wants to walk into that valley with you. He doesn't want you hiding. He doesn't want you avoiding him. He doesn't want you being um, afraid to be vulnerable to people that love you the most. No, no, no. He wants to know where you are so he can come and be with you. As the story continues, what ends up happening is that God asks Adam, who told you that you were naked? Adam says, listen, this wasn't my fault. The woman that you put in the garden with me, she's the one who gave me the fruit. And then Eve is like, well, it, it wasn't my fault. The serpent, the serpent came in and he, and he tricked me. And then God looks at the serpent and the serpent is like, my bad. That wasn't even, it wasn't even supposed to end up this way. And what ends up happening is that each of those individuals receives a consequence Adam gets told that the work of his hands is going to be very, very difficult. Eve gets told that child labor is going to be painful. When I get to heaven, I'm going to set Eve down and be like, really? This, is, this was your plan? Like, this is like once a month I have to go through what I go through because of you? You know, I haven't had a child yet, so I don't know how, how difficult that is. Um, but, you know, I'll have a conversation with her about that as well. Like, you know, and the serpent no longer was able to walk on his feet, but instead he had to crawl on his, or slither on his belly. And what we see in this moment is that we may have consequences for our choices, but we don't have to lose closeness with God. Right, so how do you know that Adam and Eve did not lose closeness with God because they eventually got kicked out of the garden? How do you know that they still remained connected? Well, in the next chapter, in the next story, you see Adam and Eve's two oldest sons interacting in a, in a moment where one of them did something horrible, right? They made another poor decision. And after Cain made that decision, we see that the voice of God speaks to Cain. And Cain recognized the voice of God. And so that tells me that these two young men grew up hearing the voice of God consistently. And so that lets me know that no matter how bad my decisions are, no matter how badly I feel like I have failed, I have not forfeited my rights to intimacy with Jesus. I have not forfeited my closeness with God. And in fact, I have not forfeited the legacy that God wants to bring through me of children that know and love Jesus. And so I want to remind you tonight that no matter what you have done, it is not enough to to separate you from the love of God because he loves you so much. The question is how much? How much does he love you? Well, he loves you so much that God covered the cost of your sin. Genesis 3:21 tells us that tells us this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. In that moment, we see God 
sacrificing an animal to cover the cost of Adam and Eve's sin. Thousands of years later, there comes a man. The Bible tells us that he was a man that was both fully God and fully human. He was conceived miraculously. For 30 years, we don't see much of him except for moments in a synagogue where he begins to preach the gospel, begins to talk about the book of Isaiah and the teachers, the adult teachers in the room are like, yo, who is this young man? And they are in awe of his understanding of scripture. At age 30, he shows up and begins to do miracles. He shows up to a party and turns water into wine. Jesus kept the party going. Can I get an amen? <laughs> then we see this man walk on water. We see this man heal the blind. We see this man help the lame walk. We see this man allow this man, this person who had a disfigured hand, grow out and become normal. We see this man raise people from the dead. And after three years of doing miracles and sharing stories, there comes an accusation that this man was not really sent from God, but that he was a distraction. That so evil was what he was doing that he deserved to die. So one day in the middle of the night, an innocent man gets arrested. He gets dragged into a trial that was unfair. As Jesus is standing there at this trial, they begin to punch him and spit on him and mock him. And they say, if you are the son of God, tell us who struck you. The next day he goes before a different judge. That judge says, I want nothing to do with this. He gets sent to someone else and then they finally go back to the original judge and, and the original judge says, hey, listen, who do you choose this day? There's a criminal named Barabbas who is known for doing evil, or do you want this Jesus who calls himself the king of the Jews? And out of passion and anger and envy, the crowd begins to say, no, give us the criminal. Give us the criminal. We want Barabbas. And this judge begins to say, so then what do you want me to do with Jesus? And then they say, we want you to crucify him. We want a state-sanctioned murder for an innocent man. And he looks at the crowd and says, what has he done? And they just yelled with more passion, crucify him. The Bible tells us that Jesus gets dragged from, away from the crowd, gets put in front of Roman soldiers. They strip him naked and they begin to punch him and insult him and they put a robe around him and a crown on his hand and they mock him and they spit on him. Eventually, he goes all the way up to the Mount of Golgotha. And there he stands, bloody, bruised, suffocating on his own blood. In one moment, a man comes in and strikes him in the side. And the Bible tells us that water and blood spills from his side. And as he hangs there naked, bleeding, he looks down and he sees his mother and one of his disciples, John. And he says, John, this is your mother. Take care of her. And eventually, he says, it is finished. What kind of God? would die like a criminal. 
What kind of God would take on the shame and pain and fear and confusion of humanity? This is a God who says, no matter what you have done, my shame, my pain, my crucifixion, my nakedness has covered it. Living room, I want to remind you today that no matter what you have done, no matter how insufficient you feel, you were bought with the price, not with silver or with gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, that our God gave up eternity, stepped into humanity, and he suffered the death of a criminal because you are worth it. And so as we're about to go into small groups, I want to ask you the question, where are you? I want you to use this time as an opportunity to be honest with your community. Do not let your sin, do not let your shame, do not let your fear cause you to hide because here at the living room, you are home. And because you are home, you can be yourself. Let's pray. Dad, we thank you so much. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And we thank you for the individuals that right now are thinking about giving their lives to you for the very first time or for what feels like the 1,000th time, that you will meet them where they are. God, I pray for the Zoom group leaders. Give them wisdom, give them direction. And I thank you that this moment is not just a part of a routine, but it is a holy moment. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Living Room, thank you for having me with you. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the Living Room ATL. Remember TLR fam, we love you, we're for you, and we'll see you next time.